are listening to Perlustration, a podcast where we take on movie universes. This episode, we are discussing the 2014 film Guardians of the Galaxy, directed by James Gunn. Spoiler warning for this film and the first nine MCU films. We will try not to spoil any future movies or any future plot points. Lucas, what are your thoughts on Guardians of the Galaxy? Hmm. Initial viewing was awesome. I loved this quote unquote, like departure from the quote unquote normal Marvel heroes, Cap, Iron Man, Thor. Um, seeing the Guardians get their own big time movie was huge. I gotta say rewatchability, not the highest for me. Why do you think that is? This is a very kind of humor-focused movie, and the jokes aren't as repeatable. The scene where um, they're in the prison, or they're getting processed in the prison, and and, uh, Peter Quill is doing the, like, jack-in-the-box with the middle finger, and he's like, oh, I didn't know I was going to do that. Hilarious the first time. The tenth time, not as funny. Um, There there is little things that you can pick up in, in the background, or just little funny things that you don't notice the first time, but... I just think it's not as fun to watch over and over again. I liked the humor for the most part. Yeah, there were certain jokes that did not land for me, but I did like a lot of the subtle humor. Mm-hmm. Like when they do have that hold up early in the jail, the guy you know, ends up getting the knife taken and he's like, that was my favorite knife. Yeah. <laughs> and it's so quick and it cuts away from it, but it's a nice little touch. Little things like that I did enjoy. And like Ronan's ship I thought was super cool. Very cool haven't seen anything like that a lot of the stuff we haven't seen before and we're going to touch on that in our stones but it was kind of fun like you said getting away from the main storyline and we've been watching agents of shield and captain you know it's been very earth and conspiracy and espionage driven recently so getting to go to another galaxy, basically, this is kind of like a Star Wars movie in a way where you're jumping around planet to planet with a group of, you know, smuggler, bounty hunter people. And I enjoyed it for that specifically and the lightheartedness. You know, even the the villain, Ronan himself, is almost a caricature of a villain. Like he is just set on destroying everything and that's it. There's mm-hmm. no second layer to him. It was very, uh, I don't want to say simple in that way, but simple is the word that's coming to mind, but not in a bad way. Yeah, and it's a it's a good villain, short-term focus for this movie, but then we also get the long-term setup here for the seeing Thanos. And, you know, we know that Ronan is not the big bad. He's just the bad guy for this movie, and they handle him, you know. I, th- I think it, it works well to lay, to give us a, contained story in this movie but also fit it in well with the surrounding universe yeah in some ways i feel like we learned more about the surrounding universe in this film than we have all the other films combined i mean we get more from thanos than we ever had and we get the collector actually within the film yep there's a lot going on in the bigger universe that i feel like this is setting up but you know i'm only halfway through the story so i only have my (laughs) guesses at this point Uh, One other thing I did want to comment on was the tape that Peter carries around was like a fun wrinkle because it worked as the music for the film as well as like a character driven 
items. So I even looked on Spotify and people have put together playlists of what the actual mix is. And I put it yeah. on the other day just to, when I was working on my notes to get into the mood of the film. But I thought that was really cool and a fun way to kind of connect Earth back into it a little bit. You know what I mean? Yep, exactly. And they, the um, soundtrack album art is that um, the tape with the handwritten note, awesome mix or volume one. Awesome mix mm-hmm. one, whatever. Yeah. Right. He gets volume two at the end of the film. That's what. Right. The present that he never opened for him. Oh, gosh. Mm-hmm. Oof. That's that hits you. That hits you in the chest. That does hit you in the chest. But, you know, the fact that he saved it for so long, he gets like this whole new fresh group of songs to listen to where he might have burnt it out years before if he had opened it. How is he still listening to the same single tape for 26 years, though? I had that in my notes, too. Yeah, I'm like, tapes, I, I'm old enough to remember listening to music on tapes, and they do not last that long, especially if you're flying around in outer space and putting the ship through who knows what. Mm-hmm. You know, it, there's no way it's still working. I expected to see a scene of him, like, fixing it or, like, cleaning it. You know uh, what I mean? Like, yeah. doing maintenance of some sort on the tape. He was a small child um, when he was when he left Earth with this piece of technology mm-hmm. i don't think he would have the he would know how it works more than the mechanical aspect of the tape playing uh you could, sure. you could kind of reverse engineer that but just the the magnetic tape itself is i mean it's mind-blowing to me to learn about uh but if he he didn't have other tapes to compare it to he didn't know how the technology worked i think it'd be crazy difficult for him to to do that also, did he just find like double A batteries at a at a store in some galaxy somewhere? Another great question. You just kind of have to roll with it, I suppose. Yeah, it's one of those. I mean, there is like a talking raccoon and talking tree in this movie, so I'm like, you know, what's a raccoon? <laughs> it's what you are, dummy. Okay, one other note before we get into our stones <laughs> I have here: which uh, which Zoe Zaldana alien performance do you prefer? Uh, Star this Trek or Avatar? Oh, she plays. Uh, she's in Uhura, right? Or she plays in Star Trek, right? Too. Not an alien, though. Um, this one. Gotta say, I was not the biggest fan of Avatar. So. I agree. <laughs> All right. Anything else before we go on to the stones? Nope. All right. Well, we're gonna take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors, then we'll get back to our six infinity stones. This episode is brought to you by Mammoth Cooler. Mammoth Cooler makes professional-grade coolers, drinkware, and more. They are ready for anything from a day at the beach to an extended camping trip and everything in between. Their hard shell cooler line includes the Cruiser 15 cooler. The Cruiser 15 is a low-cost, light-duty cooler, roto-molded and built with all of the features of a heavy-duty cooler. Weighing only 8 pounds, the Cruiser 15 is light enough to be handled easily on any excursion. And with ice retention lasting longer than two days, you'll be prepared for anything your adventure throws your way. All Mammoth coolers are backed by a lifetime warranty and shipped to the 48 continental United States. Visit www.mammothcooler.com. That's M-A-M-M-O-T-H-C-O-O-L-E-R.com to order. Use the promo code BEGONIAFM, all one word, at checkout to get 10% off your order. Make sure to use that code to let Mammoth know you came from us. Thanks to Mammoth for sponsoring this episode and all of BEGONIAFM. 
Okay, welcome back. Our six infinity stones. Our first stone is the world building. They clearly put so much work into this. Because if you just pause any scene when you're on these alien planets and take in everything that's in frame, it's really incredible from the costumes, the sets, like the particular cultures that are being shown. It's, mm, it's a masterful work of world building. Definitely agree. There's languages and there's different species of aliens interacting, crazy technology on display. Very, very cool. Were there any of the worlds that we saw in this film, a place that you had read about in the comics before seeing it that like you had your fingers crossed? You're like, I really hope they do this Guardian story or we hope I hope we get to go here. Do we get to see any of those worlds? Hmm, that's a that's a good thought. The Guardians are among my least read comics. Um for no reason other than I just didn't. You know, it's not that I disliked any Guardians comics. I think the Guardians, in my comic experience, they show up on Earth or near Earth when there's some big thing happening and the Avengers need help or something like that. And they, you know, just happen to be chasing the same bad guy across the galaxy or whatever. Sure. As far as the planets that we've seen, like, I had heard of Xandar and the Nova Corps. Um, never seen the planet so that was definitely cool and probably kind of what you're getting at like I, d I wouldn't say i was hoping to see xandar but it was very cool to see a place that i had recognized um all the other places though are the kree homeworld that never never seen nowhere yeah nowhere was new to me um very cool though in like the skull of a celestial or something yeah it's super metal yeah yes <laughs> very cool yeah that I think the just seeing Groot, Rocket, and um, Star Lord together was like that's what I was hoping for out of the the Guardians story. Okay, uh, just one other thing in the world building that I had in my notes was the sound design. We talked about this a little bit with the Thor films. Mm -hmm. You know, it seems extra important that these out of world stories nail the sound design and really bring you in. And one thing I picked up on was Quill's ship had like a muscle car like startup. Oh, yeah. You can hear this like muscle car engine within the sound mix. And I assume that they do things like that to one, add to his character, but also to ground it in some sort of reality that we're familiar with. Yeah. But speaking of Quill, uh, our next stone, the second stone we have here is the Guardians themselves. So I was going to ask you what their comic history is. It sounds like you haven't read a bunch of their stuff. But like, when did they come around, or are they like a recent group, or are they a classic group of characters? They are classic. They um, the first comics were in the '60s, like late '60s. Um, so, right when Spider-Man, Captain America, they're all having the, the the comic book golden age, as it's called. Guardians were right there, uh, but I guess. Sort of before there was the the master plan of the cohesive universe or the multiverse um, through the comics, this the Guardians started as like a 31st century timeline team. So they could be, the comic book writers could get away with anything because it wasn't present day. They didn't have to do anything with um, contemporary stuff. Got it. Uh, then it was in the mid thousands that they kind of revamped the the guardians and then they revamped them again with the uh 
MCU to kind of align the comic book universe with the cinematic universe in uh, with the Guardians specifically. So Drax, Ra- Rocket Raccoon, Gamora, Star-Lord, they're all in the current Guardians. But it, it is kind of worth noting that the Guardians of the Galaxy is not sort of like the Avengers. It's not a... Um, it's not like the Fantastic Four where it's these four people. It's mm-hmm. people come in and out. It's more like a, a military unit or something, I guess, where they just whoever is in the team at the time and they recruit new members as needed and people leave when they have disagreements and stuff like that. Um, so it's a it's an evolving cast of characters. Yeah, that makes sense to me. I can also understand them kind of revamping the comics once this film came out because like growing up, I've heard of Captain America. I've heard of Thor and Iron Man. I've never heard of the Guardians of the Galaxy. Ah, uh, yeah. Or seen like a raccoon with a rocket launcher or anything. <laughs> I, like, I remember seeing the trailers for this film and being like, man, the MCU has just really lost its marbles. Like, yeah. what are they doing? But little did I know, you know, that these are classic characters and how successful it was going to be. But that was just from my outside view. You know, it seemed wild. Uh, but I, you know, I really enjoyed this cast of characters. I really enjoyed like uh, Gamora and Drax specifically. Yes, like what they brought to it. Drax their their dynamic very, is great too. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, and I, I, I liked Drax's dry humor. I, was, I don't know if that's some of the humor that's aged well or poorly for you, but for me, that was some of the funniest moments of the film. I, I got to agree with that. It's like nothing goes over my head. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Do not call me a thesaurus. <laughs> yes, that was a good one. And then Gamora, she is, I guess, adopted by Thanos or kidnapped by Thanos. Unclear, really, because I don't know if she's telling the truth. Uh, so at this point, I'm like, she's shown to be trustworthy, but to a certain point. I don't know if she's still trustworthy towards this team specifically or her own personal goals. But I like a character like that. Yep. She kind of reminds me of like Space Black Widow in a way. Okay. I was going to say like Loki, but yeah. Yeah, like Loki. like Kind of like all my favorites of the <laughs> MCU so far. Gamora, although I didn't readdress the list for this film, Gamora is definitely itching towards that top three for sure. I, maybe uh, after the next pod, we're going to do the Avengers Age of Ultron, and I'll have a new assessed top three at that point. Fair, fair. Uh, but then, yeah, Rocket and Groot, uh, really fun, very sweet relationship that they seem to have. A uh, little Han Solo, Chewbacca-like. Yep, translator, one guy doesn't speak English. Yeah. Yep. I was going to ask, is Rocket a bounty hunter or a smuggler or what type of criminal specifically is he? So this this is a kind of a departure from, um, from the comic book Guardians. Rocket is to my knowledge always been a guardian of the galaxy or ex-military kind of thing and uh always been a a good guy but the bad boy of the good guys you know and this in mcu he is portrayed or you know his backstory is he's like uh a criminal thief smuggler bounty hunter whatever i I think bounty hunter is is a fair job title for him since he is scanning people on in the crowd and saying "Ooh." 40,000 units when he sees Peter. Um, so I think Bounty Hunter is a good one, and he has kind of latched onto Groot as his sidekick, friend, w- partner in crime, and obviously the 
he's escaped from prison 22 times and I always love the the pairings of of the small guy and the big guy where like the the small guy rides on the shoulder of the big guy super fun mm-hmm. it was definitely reminiscent of uh the ents in lord of the rings sure. yeah yeah the hobbits yeah. yeah i was thinking of a slightly more obscure reference but the video game jack and daxter on the playstation there's there's been a couple of them but jack is the uh he's a guy that doesn't talk he's just a good fighter and he wears this really cool one-sided shoulder armor that his little ferret-style fr- um, animal friend that talks rides on his shoulder and does all the talking. He's the comic relief, and they uh, it's so much fun. They get into mischief like that, too. That's cool. Maybe we can uh, play a round of that and stream it out for the listeners. I'm done. I've got it. I've got it on my PlayStation 3. <sighs> what a thing of the past. I That's know. That's like two PlayStations ago. Oh, my gosh. Oh, and even... The, the game I have, well, so the games actually came out on PS2, and when the PlayStation 3, at some point in the PlayStation 3's lifespan, they did a remastered all three games on one disc, Jack and Daxter 1, 2, and 3 on one disc, so I had to sweep it up when I got it. Hey, maybe the fourth one will come out for PlayStation 5, oh and we can God. do that. If that happened, that, <laughs> that would make me buy a PlayStation 5. All right, you heard us, PlayStation. Get to work. Uh, <laughs> let's move on to our third stone here, uh, the villains of the film we talked about it a little bit earlier but we get to see thanos talking for the first time really yeah. you know or affecting the story in some way very imposing guy very he puts ronan in his place doesn't he he does but he also allows ronan to kind of do his own thing you know it's like one of those one of those instances like where like thanos is playing like chess and everybody else is playing checkers yeah like it seemed like he almost knew what he was doing by kind of pushing Ronan and kind of taunting him and putting him in the place. He probably wanted him to go cause a bunch of trouble. It's a distraction. Keeps the focus off of Thanos. Right. Because as we know, well, what is Thanos' goal before I say anything? Oh, I have no idea. I assume it's to destroy the universe, something of that nature. Make it in his own image. um, Get revenge for something a long time ago. Well, how is he doing it? Oh, I have no idea. Okay. I mean, all right. Then he's, then he's collect. He's collecting the. He's trying to collect all these important stones. That's and what I was getting at. Okay. I did. I didn't want to know, or I didn't want to say. But yeah, his goal is to collect all the infinity stones. That's his like immediate goal. And so, um, I think you're right that setting Ronan off to go wreak havoc while also searching for and retrieving the stone that we see. That's his goal here, and he doesn't care if Ronan kills all the Zandarians or whatever he just wants the stone so he'll he'll do whatever it takes to get there and i think antagonizing ronin making him angry it's probably part of the plan the whole time you gotta think so he seems like he knows what he's doing but yeah what do you think of ronin is he important in the comics is he what what is he he is a bad guy in the comics i I don't want to say he's a big bad because he does cause a lot of trouble and he does a lot of things in the comics um and his affiliation with Thanos comes and goes in the comics. Um, sometimes it's important, sometimes it's not. Uh, but really, the relationship between the Kree and the Zandarians, and well, the Kree and anyone, really. Um, the Kree are kind of like a warrior race, and so they don't get along with anybody. So he makes an appearance more just as a Kree zealot in the comics than Thanos' lackey. Okay. One thing I will say, you say he's a Cree. Yeah. I will say, blue alien. He is a blue alien. 
We got a few blue aliens in this film. Mm-hmm. We got the the guy with the arrow and his whole crew. Yondu, yeah. Bunch of blue aliens there. I, I was like, okay, I'm starting to put some pieces together here. Yep. I'm putting the, I'm solving the MCU myself. <laughs> Where have we seen a blue alien before? Hmm. Yeah, trying to get that GH325. Who is... Um, the super powered guy at the beginning of the film who comes after Peter. He's like um, Star Lord? Who? Who? Good question. Um he's one of Ronan's uh one of Ronan's guys, right? Yeah. I didn't know if he was important. He seemed more important, but I didn't know if he was a notable character. Well, I guess the fact that he doesn't stand out in my mind. I I know he has a name and I've seen him before, but I I don't think he's like a major major character. Okay. Well, do you have anything else on the villains? We don't know that much about Thanos, so I, I don't want to get too deep into him. But Nebula, the sister of Gamora, other daughter of Thanos. Like with the robot type machinery going on? Yeah. She's uh, awesome. I, I don't know. Like she's, she's not a great villain, I think, because she's not super imposing. But she takes a rocket straight to the chest from Drax there at the end and then like reassembles her mangled body. And then, like, is just back to normal. That was awesome. Yeah, she's a badass. And the the actor, like, in the performance is clearly, like, dialing it up. Yeah. And you can really miss the mark when you're doing that. And she doesn't. She, like, plays the tone just right. Yeah, I see. She, she plays the part, like, she is on the edge of losing her mind, basically, at any moment. And how close she gets to that edge just depends on the scene. And I think you're right. She does it very well. That's a good way of putting it. Okay, well, our fourth Infinity Stone is the other parties involved in the film. The Is it the Nova Corps? Is that the police force there? Mm-hmm. What is that planet called? That is The planet is Xandar, the home of the Xandarians. Is there a Xandar MCU show on Netflix? Not, not that I know of. Because I would, I, I would start that yesterday. I wanted to spend so much time on that planet and I would love like do like a Brooklyn nine, nine, but <laughs> Xandar Nova Corps. That would be fun. Wouldn't it with all the, you know, you got the broker and the different alien races there and mm-hmm. it was a beautiful place too. Just, it'd be really a fun setting to set stories in. I just really enjoyed the time there. Yeah. So I guess a quick note on the, the Nova, the Nova at, the Nova Corps is the like military arm of the Nova Empire. Mm-hmm. The Nova the Nova Empire's the well the headquarters is Xandar, but not all not all Xandarians sorry not all Nova Corps or Nova Empire uh, constituents are Xandarians. It's a it's an interstellar come hold on what's the word union? Yeah, in, that's a good word. Interstellar union made up of multiple alien species. They're just their headquarters is Xandar. Okay, understood. I loved it there. Yeah, it's a beautiful planet. Very futuristic, kind of clean, nice skyscra- skyscrapers and everything. Mm-hmm. And I, when I was watching the extras, uh, James Gunn specifically said that they tried to like bring contrast to whatever was on the ground, kind of contrast it with the sky. So like in the very first scene, it's that very dirty planet, but with this beautiful galactic background you know, above the planet's edge. And then here on Xandar, it's this beautiful ground, but then there's this like 
horrific death and attack from above in the skies and it's just this contrast oh nice it was really effective yeah i like that they pointed that out and it was something that i picked up on especially towards in that battle because they make you know the death very apparent like yeah a lot of people died in this attack yes definitely and you get to see like the very emotional moments with like people who are just living their lives looking up and seeing this destruction rage upon them and ships crashing next to them and holding your loved ones and scattering and very very intense on the ground there yeah heartbreaking very reminiscent of the attack on new york true yeah yeah good call i wonder if that was intentional yeah i don't know the other group i i talked about him the blue arrow guy yes yandu yandu did i understand this correctly that he a abducted or like adopted quill from earth like he was on that ship or he was there early after he got picked up or something correct yes so we learned that uh yondu picked up peter quill on earth um and basically has had him since then basically uh i gotta i gotta dance carefully around this because this this is the focus of guardians 2 you know, with no spoilers, it's like Peter's background and all mm. that is is kind of what we deal with in, in Guardians 2. Okay, because I have some questions in the aftermath <laughs> okay. that kind of deal yeah. with this a little too, like around like Peter and they, they mentioned there at the very end of the film, they're like, we were supposed to pick him up for his dad mm-hmm. or something. And the movie begins with the mom talking about the dad being an angel. I'm like, okay, we, we figured out this guy is half human. So like, whoever the dad is, is like somebody we'll, we'll, we'll touch on it in aftermath yeah so i guess about yondu and the ravagers which is his like group of people um they're in they're another like interstellar group thieves smugglers criminals bandits it's like a crime family kind of thing but uh just you know intergalactic or interstellar whatever you want to call it and i guess what i gather is that yondu has like kind of separated like branched off his own branch faction of these ravagers um but i don't know we we don't really see that he's got his group of followers he's clearly clearly the leader and has been close to peter from the beginning and they do crime i guess they you know they do bounties or however they roam about the galaxy um seems to be lucrative enough i guess They, they they live a decent life obviously killing and thieving but you know. Right, I was going to say from a certain point of view. Right, right. from, the, from <laughs> so their point of view. It's all about perspective, really. You know? Right. Yeah. <laughs> Every villain is the hero of their own story, right? That's so true. Well, speaking of the villain, uh, his goal here and kind of the whole, the, the nucleus in which everything else is circling in this film is our fifth stone here, and it is the purple infinity stone <laughs> that we see. Yes. So like, my first question is going to be, is the color important? We'll just say yes or no. No. It's only important to distinguish them from each other, right? They, they all have names too. And I I kind of want to, unless we've heard the names yet, I don't want to like start calling them that. But the purple stone is fine. Yeah, yeah please don't tell me. Uh, purple stone is fine. Yep. Uh, let, let's like, so clearly, as all infinity stones are, the purple stone is incredibly powerful and can only be wielded by certain people. It, you know, kills people who are not worthy quote unquote or you know just mm-hmm. like uh just like the red mist liquid stone uh in inhabited jane foster's body uh 
could anyone have done that? Who knows? But we do know that nobody could touch her while it was inside her, that kind of thing. Well, nobody except Thor. So not to say that the stones have a mind of their own, but they kind of do. You know, they, they, they all have powers, right? So understood. So, so far, if I have this straight, we've seen like the blue, red, and purple. Correct. That is what we've seen so far. Awesome. That, that's the Tesseract, the Ether, and the Orb, as this one is called. The Orb. Got it. I think just because it's housed in an orb. It, the, the stone isn't an orb. <laughs> that's true. Just funny. It's just in an orb. But yeah, It's a way that we can, a nomenclature that you and I can use at least yeah. to effectively describe it for now. Uh, what was the planet that Quill was originally on? That was my other question. The like dead planet? Where did he steal that from? Who who was housing it? Or is that a question for the future? Hmm. I don't think I don't think it's a spoiler for the future, and I'll say I don't know the name of that planet. Okay. Yeah. You listeners should see the look on Lucas's face when I pose some of these questions, because <laughs> I can see him like dancing around. What can I say? What can't I say? What do I know? What don't I know? And he's having to filter it all in real time. Yep. You guys need to appreciate what Lucas is doing here for you. Anything else on the purple stone that you want to say before we move on? On the orb? On the orb. Um, I just really, real quick, real-time searched. The planet's name is Morag. M-O-R-A-G. That's the one we see. And apparently it was hidden on that planet for millennia until Peter Quill found it. So pretty good hiding place, I would say. Thousands of years. You know, sometimes just the bottom of a trash pile is the best place to hide something. Security by obscurity. I guess before we move on here, we didn't really touch on the ending of the film and with the group all connecting and during the stone would be a good opportunity to do that. It was just such a sweet moment with Groot. We are Groot. Creating that ball and protecting the group and illuminating it in this, with those little lights in the same way he did early in the film. Yeah, so cool. Super touching. First time he says anything other than I am Groot. That's got to be huge, right? It was enormous. He sacrificed himself, and I thought he died. You know, I'm like, oof, that was brutal. But then we get to see that he did not die. It was brutal. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and thank you everybody All right, for we'll listening. See you next We're week. <laughs> <clears throat> All right. All right. Sixth Infinity Stone: The Aftermath. Yep. My first question, can Nova protect the stone? These are basically all rhetorical questions. Right. Uh, how did Peter survive the stone? Who's his dad? My personal guess is his dad is Thanos. And that he, like, you know, put on a human form or something. In some way, it was like Thanos in disguise. That's a guess. <laughs> I can neither confirm nor deny. And uh, the collector lost his collection. Yeah. Rip the collection. Too bad. I really liked him and his collection and kind of the authority that it held. And he's definitely been taken down a few pegs, but I hope that he continues to show up. I don't think I don't think he's destroyed. You know, like, he's sitting there. He's alive. His whole collection isn't gone, obviously. It's just mostly destroyed. So I think, I think he can be, he can rebuild. I hope so, because that's a really fun place to visit. Yeah. Lots of little Easter eggs that I'm sure the more that I watch the, or the more films that I see here, the more things I will pick up on. Yeah. I, I guess I got to leave all your questions in their rhetorical state, because I think obviously the purple stone is going to come into play in the future, and 
Peter's story, Peter Quill's story, and the Collector, they all come into play in the future. So we'll see. All right, to be determined. You have anything else to add here before we go on to the categories? Yeah, I guess I just kind of wanted to touch on like the last thing we see of the Guardians in here. They are like flying in their ship, seemingly all together, right? They, they've decided to stay together as a group. And they're like, well, what do you want to do now? I like that, that they ended up not parting ways at the end of the film, that they're going to stay as a unit. Yeah. It's, this was like a real origin story because they all were separate and came together. And now we get to see, well, the next what join us next week and see what the Guardians get up to. You know, it was, it was a very fun ending for setting up the future of this group. Yeah, and I, I, I genuinely, yeah, all the questions I have are kind of fun questions that I'm interested to see. I'm like, ugh, all right, let's get through Age of Ultron. Let's get yeah. through them. I want to get back Guardians out here. Too. I want to. Yeah, I want to tie up a bow on some of these stories, but we'll get there soon enough. Yes, we will. All right, before we get to our categories, we're going to pause one more time to hear a word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Mammoth Cooler. Mammoth Cooler makes professional-grade coolers, drinkware, and more. They're ready for anything from a day at the beach to an extended camping trip and everything in between. Mammoth icebergs are stainless steel reusable drink chillers. Think of them like space age ice cubes. Built with 18-8 kitchen grade stainless steel and insulated with high-tech thermal gel, they'll keep your drink cold for up to two hours on a single freeze. The best part is the icebergs won't water down your drink and are completely reusable. All Mammoth products are backed by a lifetime warranty and shipped to the 48 continental United States. Visit www.mammothcooler.com. That's M-A-M-M-O-T-H-C-O-O-L-E-R.com to order and use the offer code BEGONIAFM, all one word at checkout, to get 10% off your order. Make sure to use that code BEGONIAFM to let Mammoth know you came from us. Thanks to Mammoth for sponsoring this episode and all of Begonia FM. Welcome back. Category time. Pick a power, Lucas. Yandu, Yandu and that arrow. However that works, awesome. <laughs> he just whistles. He's got a great teeth whistle. You know, I can't, I can't whistle through my teeth. But well, then can you control the arrow? Give us a whistle. <laughs> oh no! I can, I can whistle. <laughs> can you... There we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your your arrow could be driven by your whistle. Right. I, I feel like it's whistle specific. Okay. You're right. You're right. But just he he like crashes his plant it crashes his spaceship on the on Xandar and is surrounded by Ronan's men like i don't know there's like 20 of them and a guy with a ship like a helicopter hovering pointed guns at him and he's just like all right uh, i'm arms up i'm surrendering and then whistles and then bam takes them all out in like one little arrow blast it zigzags and goes right through their hearts on all of them so cool incredibly powerful i mean that dude what what is he doing being a ravager he needs to he needs to leverage that power to to do more you know sometimes people just don't you know reach their potential and and that's okay in all fairness he is like the leader of this group of ravagers maybe he's not head ravager or whatever i don't know what their uh, social hierarchy is but he's clearly clearly the leader of this group so maybe he's doing what he wants to do yeah can't blame him you know, really, again, it's all about perspective. <laughs> uh, the power I'm going with is the purple stone. Uh, why didn't I think of that? 
seemed awesome. Yeah. <laughs> seemed like a really cool time. So let's do it. Who's your hero? Yandu. Again. I clean sweep for Yandu. Yeah, he, he he did it all. Like so we get that little teaser at the end about uh, Yandu's original mission and delivering him to his dad, but uh he didn't, right? Otherwise, this would be a different story. So he, from one point of view, uh, he gave Peter Quill a different life. And he's raised Peter from, what what was he, nine years old or something like that? Tough to say. Yeah, for 20 plus years, he's like clearly raised Peter as a son or at least a, a cool uncle. Apparently, people were wanting to eat him. So the fact that yeah, he even got a good they life is, uh, yeah, good point. They wanted to eat you. Uh, my hero is uh, Corman Day, or uh, John C. Riley's right. character. Great character, because he is the one who convinces the Nova Corps to back up Peter Quill, and he—I mean, it's John C. Riley crushing it yeah. in every scene that he's in. So, <laughs> just my own personal hero. <laughs> yeah, and he says he's talking to Nova Prime, the leader, like the leader of his uh, faction, and he's like, "I don't think anybody's a dick, right?" Or he. He says dick in the presence of the... He's like, I don't think anybody's 100% a dick. Right, sorry. The great quote. But just to say that in such a nonchalant manner in front of the, like, the president, so to speak, you know? Incredible. He's fantastic. All right, uh, what's your unofficial ranking of this film? Okay. As I said early on, not a rewatchable movie for me. Mm Mm-hmm. So this one was 12 out of 23. So top half, but barely. Um, That was my preseason. So rating them as we go, this one lands six. So just bottom half, because this is the 10th movie we've done. Mm -hmm. So just below half on current ones, but it's a strong half in front of it. It's cap two, cap one, Avengers, Iron Man three, Thor those are the ones before it so like I feel like basically the way I ranked it was I took this movie and said well here's number one here's current number one which one would I rather watch and then I just went down the list until I'm like you know what I'd rather watch Guardians than this one so that's how I landed with I would rather watch Guardians before I watched Thor 2 sounds like a solid process it's your basic bubble sort algorithm (laughs) Sure, sure. It sounds like uh, Guardians is kind of like right in where it was on the preseason right now. You know, it right. looks like it's going to shake right out in the somewhere middle. in the middle. Yep. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. My unofficial rating for this film is uh, seventy out of one hundred percent a dick. I'm going to put one minute on the clock, Lucas. What did we miss? We didn't talk much about Drax and uh, his backstory. So obviously, tragic backstory. His um, wife and daughter had been murdered by Ronan. So Drax doesn't give two craps about Thanos. He he's all for Ronan. He wants to kill Ronan because Ronan killed his wife and daughter. Mm-hmm. So I think it's uh, particularly telling the bond that they have built through the course of this movie that Drax does decide to stay. Uh, there's this a great scene at the end that I, I think I got more uh, out of this most recent watch than I did uh, previously where in the final battle Peter Quill, Groot, Drax and Gamora crash their ship into Ronan's ship while Rocket is leading the distraction from another ship you know he's leading the attack out there 
anyways they're walking through the ship after they they get in and drax is like you know it's nice to have friends again uh peter quill you're my friend this big dumb tree you're my friend and then he turns to gamora and he says this even this green whore and then gamora yells at him and they go back and forth but basically he's saying even gamora daughter of thanos this person that i hate is my friend and that's when nebula drops in and starts calling gamora a traitor and saying i'm gonna kill you that kind of thing and drax just shoots her with a rocket he says nobody talks to my friends like that that's that is drax in a nutshell i loved it that's beautiful i'm glad you brought that up i'm glad you perfect use of the one minute lucas (laughs) crushed it thank you yeah drax is a very sweet character Uh, i i feel really bad for him for what happened i hope that good things come to him in the future and our second like real life uh, fighter turned actor we saw george st pierre in uh cap 2 and now we got dave bautista in guardians it's awesome who is next all right thanks everybody for listening if you have any questions or feedback send an email to hello at begonia.fm or reach out to us on twitter and instagram at perlustration fm for our next episode we will be watching the 2015 film avengers age of ultron directed by joss whedon a big thanks to mammoth coolers for sponsoring this episode lucas take us out I am Groot. Okay, post credit scene. We only got one this time. I think there's technically two, depending on where you draw the line. They, they sometimes they call it a mid credit scene, or like the movie's over, screen goes black, and then we get a scene. So it's before credits, but I think people consider it to be the after credit scene. So we see like the little Groot dancing. That's what you're yeah. saying is like the first yeah. one. Yeah, the baby Groot. Baby Groot. Yeah, baby Groot. Um, yeah, yeah. So we get the, we get the baby Groot dancing to uh, "I Want You Back." Kind of the like you said, you thought he was dead. That's just like peace said in everybody's mind that oh, this crazy giant tree species can regenerate like that. Awesome. Yeah, as long as there's like a little piece of them, they can still come back. Yeah, it's all about the merch, right? You got to sell the st- sell the little toys. Baby Groot, people love it. He was very cute. Well, then speaking of merch, the second scene is just the collector and a duck. (laughs) Yes, I got to imagine that's very strange for people who don't know who that character is. You are correct in that feeling. It was it was strange. Yeah. So that is uh, Howard the Duck, who is just it's one of those like weird, fun comic book things that. You know, Marvel is a big company, and especially in the 70s and 80s, they were 
at the peak of their powers, right? They could, they were making comics, Spider-Man, Avengers, Silver Surfer, Fantastic Four. And somebody had the idea of, hey, what if we do this duck guy that like breaks the fourth wall and just kind of calls bullshit on whatever's happening, you know, and, and just kind of pokes holes in things. And it's sort of like Deadpool is today, which I love Deadpool, very fun character to watch. But just like a satirical kind of, um, he's like the, the comic book reader in the comic book world. So has a unique perspective. And yeah, there was also an awesome, awful 1980s sci-fi movie of Howard the Duck that took this character. And it was not not a great movie, but it's just <laughs> like a live action. Hmm. Maybe, <laughs> maybe we can do it for a we can do it for a bo- bonus Patreon episode. Yes, yes, that would be so fun. Well, if Howard the Duck listened to our podcast, what would he say about it? Well, he'd love this podcast. We lo- we like to poke the holes. Yeah, it kind of does. Does Howard the Duck have a catchphrase? Hmm. I don't think so. <laughs>